Welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast, the photo imaging industry's leading news source. Here's your host, Gary Peugeot. The Dead Pixel Society podcast is brought to you by Media Clip, Photo Finale, and Advertech Printing. Hello again and welcome to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Today we're joined by Mackie McNeil, the CEO and president of Mackie, a Cincinnati-based firm focused on family business. Hi, Mackie. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? It's good to be here with you. It's good to have you. As we were talking about before the show started, a lot of our listeners are family businesses. They're second, sometimes even third generation businesses that have been around. And they're really coping with challenges related to how do we pass the business on? What are some of the considerations that a business owner needs to look at when determining who they're going to pass the business on to? Well, I think in terms of who, that's a great question, Gary. And in terms of who, the first thing to look at is uh, who has the leadership potential to take the business to the the next level. Because, you know, when when there's a transition, uh, Mm. so let me qualify. If you're going to give your business to your children and you don't need any money from it, maybe you don't care. But if you're expecting them to pay you, which most, most people do, because most business owners, a large portion of their assets are tied up in their business. So they'd like to get some cash flow from it when they mm-hmm. when they relinquish it. So in that case, I said I believe it's the really a question of who is the best leader of your, if you have multiple children or if you have an employee, key employee, who do you feel like can not just be a person who runs the business, but who has some vision for the business? Because you know, business is a as a living organism, it changes over time and as the world changes, we need to change and adapt with it. So who is it in your organization that has that kind of vision? You raise a great point because the business that many of our listeners inherited was very different than what the business is now. Maybe they, they started with a film processing business and now they're printing completely digitally onto aluminum, wood, paper, and all kinds of other services. So the business has, has really changed. In terms of identifying trends for the future, because as you said, a lot of owners, their, their assets are tied up in the business. So they need, they need something out of the business. What are some of the leadership qualities that they should be looking for? Is it, is it the vision side? Is it the people side? Is it, you know, the, the financial side? Yes. What are yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, I'll tell you my favorite way to pick your successor. And there are others, but Uh, my favorite way is to put together a board of advisors, not a board of directors, but a board of advisors. And there are several nonprofits out there that will help you put together a board. So this is a board that advises you, but they don't have direct authority like a public board would have. And then have your family members or other, whoever you're thinking about be with you and through the board meeting. So have part of the board meeting on your own and part with them and let your board an outside person see what's happening. Because one of the things that I think is true of almost all parents is we can be a little biased. And sometimes parents can be a little too hard on their kids, or sometimes they're just seeing them with, uh, you know, rose colored glasses. Both things can be true, but it's good to get an outside. I, I put together a board for myself. I had three outside advisors and they came, that was the thing, number one thing I said, is like, I want to know if my daughter is capable of taking over my business. I Some days I think no, and other days I think, of course. And right. they really were, in fact, they, before I really got to the question, they, they said to me, 
come on, this, what are you waiting for? So um, she does that. She's a partner owner. I'm still active in the business myself. So I have a link with all of it. So I think that's a, a great way. Uh, and I think another way is just to, to use some outside help around understanding what kind of, you know, there's a variety of tools, DISC profile, um, Myers-Briggs, the Enneagram, ways to really understand how a person's mind and uh, tends to operate. And then look at how they how they function in your business. Are they people who bring people together? Are they people who have those new ideas and they really make sense and you've moved forward on them already? So trust your just your I would say trust your experience more than what you think they're telling you is a possibility. But what experience do you have with them? And does it seem like the kind of experience that would be appropriate for someone who's going to move the business forward? A lot of times in family business structures, there is actually a, you know, board of directors because of the way the corporation is set up and you may have active family members involved. You may have inactive family members involved. Mm -hmm. What are some of the pitfalls with that sort of arrangement? Because sometimes I've seen cases where some of the inactive family members suddenly decide, oh, I want to be involved now. And they haven't put any of the time or effort into it. I think having, you know, that's, it's not something I ever recommend, but it is something that happens where you've got owners in the business who are not working in the business. But my experience of that is, is it's usually um, better for the ownership to be focused on just the individuals in the family who are working in the business. But if you've already got that situation and you're not still at the choice point, there are good practices or best practices for how to put that um, board mm-hmm. to use. And in the first place is to clarify you know, what's the function of the board? What's the function of a shareholder? And what's the function of someone who's working in the business? Because one of the things that happens with all business owners when they become mm-hmm. owners is they sort of collapse the idea that, you know, because they're both, they work in the business and they own the business. So it sort of all gets modeled together. But, you know, if we own stock in a public company, we don't expect that we're going to go in and tell everybody what their raise is going to be or what their new strategy is going to be or what their mm-hmm. pricing is going to be. But sometimes if you're a family member and your job isn't, for example, in sales, you think you might have the wisdom or the right to tell the sales department what to do. So clarifying those two roles is the very first important step. I think one of the things you've touched on is for the owner to actually know his business well enough to know what roles need to be filled. Absolutely. Absolutely. Having a good structure, um, having, a, you know, position descriptions, having a pay policy, all the things that culturally help build a business that's not totally um, focused on the owner. I call it, in some cases, a lot of business owners where they really have to start is they're being the fulcrum, you know, everything goes through them. And their first step might not be to fix the, <laughs> to find the successor. Their first step might, might be to stop being a fulcrum and build a wheel. In other words, start giving other people in your organization some of the tasks that you hold dear and near and dear and think you're the only one who can do. That'll also give you some feedback as to who's the right successor. Because in some cases, there might be multiple family members and multiple options. And sometimes that can lead to not only hard feelings, but confusion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the tricky part. You know, we, when we mix family and money, there's so many dynamics going on. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm out, I've seen people use outside coaches for this. If they don't want an outside board of advisors or an outside board of directors, someone who's non-biased and who can bring some really good communication skills to the, to the uh, table is really important and can 
for family where you get mostly tied up is people have expectations that they don't want to speak into because they don't want to hurt anybody else's feelings, right? right. And that's just a recipe for things not going well. Yeah, yeah, because because Bobby may be, you know, a nice guy and do well in the business, but he may not be the guy to run the business. And it's hard for dad and mom to tell him that. Exactly. So, you know, all of that is why having someone that's a little removed from the family involved in, in the, that decision is often very helpful. A lot of times in a family business, if, if children are involved early in their career, a lot of parents will have their kids get outside experience, actually get a job outside the company mm -hmm. before they come back to work in the company, just to, so they have different perspectives some different experience. Do you recommend that? Absolutely. I think it's really important for a, a child that's working in a business to have this uh, experience outside. And the other thing that's really helpful, you know, there are CEO groups like um, run by a lot of nonprofits like the Gearing Center for Family Business in Cincinnati has CEO groups. Um, Vistage has CEO groups, EO and so forth. But there are also people who put together groups of the next generation. So mm -hmm. I find that that is a real um, eye opener often for the second generation for them to have other peers in the second generation that they're working with and to see that because if you've only had the experience of your company, it's kind of easy to either be overly critical or overly optimistic about it. And having that other perspective of well, what are other people doing can be really helpful. Well, one of the things that you mentioned is in some of the briefing materials is open book management as a, as a style. Mm -hmm. What if someone hasn't been using that process because, you know, it's a small business. I kind of kept, you know, I didn't want people to know what other people were making and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Can they make that change? I, I find that they can, but let me clarify. Open book management means that your financials are, are shared, but it right. doesn't necessarily mean that everybody knows what, how much everybody else is making. Because if right. you have more than one employee and you have salaries on your financial statement, you know, how that's divided up is not usually disclosed. So, but if you, I find that the um, open book management is really a great way to involve your team to help you move forward. Great right. ideas often exist in your front line, but mm -hmm. if you don't involve them and you don't get them, um, give them that kind of information, they don't have any idea of how to participate. Right. Um, I think they st I always say start with something and then right. build on that. But, you know, command and control as a philosophy of running a business is not going to continue. I mean, you see the, what's happening right now with the tsunami of turnover, mm -hmm. uh, saying one in four, one in five um, employees is going to look for new work. Well, they're looking to go outside of command and control if they're there and into right. an environment that's more collaborative. So that's a, one of the great next steps to be more collaborative is to invite your team into the conversation about how to help you grow the business. The more successful you are, the more successful they can be and, and vice versa. Let's say someone is nearing retirement age. They've had, they, they're the second generation of their business and they, they realize they need to pass the business on or sell it or do something. How long should they anticipate that process to take? I mean, I'm thinking it's going to take a few years. Well, in the best laid plans, what I would say is you really need five years because, um, you, as you go through the process, the first before you start the transition, one is you get to see how everybody's going to function in their potential new roles. Mm -hmm. You also get to, to look at how they move the business forward because a business is a business transition is a leveraged event. 
So when I say that, I said that just to a second generation person one time, and they said, well, we don't like debt around here. And I said, well, are you going to pay your dad? <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, well, whatever you call it, whether you pay him a salary for the rest of his life or paying for a stock, you're paying him for not working in some way, one or form. So the business needs to make more money. So that's the other reason to start putting in some open book management and some tools to help you really move the business forward more progressively in terms of focusing on your net income, not just your sales, building uh, new growth plans so that the business can, can generate the cash flow it needs to pay the next generation and for the second generation to get paid while they're working in the business, which is yeah. really an objective that they have as well. Yeah, there should be a financial incentive for this that as the current owners look to pass on the business, they want to recoup some of their ROI, their sweat equity and their financial uh, investment in the business. And the next generation wants to earn a living. So there's got to be enough there for both parties. Right. You know, the, the bottom line is when you're buying a business, whether it's from a family member or some someone else, if you don't have a vision for how to grow that business, you, you're paying for what it's worth today. So, right. so if you're going to pay what's worth today and you've got to have a vision to grow it or it's really probably not a good investment for you. Now, have you come across cases where you've been coaching people and uh, the incoming people realize, oh my gosh, this is not what I want to do. And they kind of put a stop to the process. We start working with people in that five-year period. I've had a few that have decided that they're working on it, that this isn't for me, which is a great, I'll, actually, that's a great thing to happen. Because then we know we're not going to we're not going to consummate this transaction in this way, right? Uh, and we need to look elsewhere. But I've never had a whole deal fall apart. Um, typically, there's enough interest that that owner. I mean, the next generation has kind of at some point raised their hand and said, "You know, this is probably for me, and I want to be considered here." Mm -hmm. And then if they start getting involved, they start having more ownership in how the business grows and how the business is functioning and how the business makes money they really kind of drink the Kool-Aid at some point and they're in, you know, right. All entrepreneurs, you realize at some point you're unemployable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Are there types of businesses that are better suited for a family environment? Well, interestingly, like 98% of the businesses of the U S are family businesses. People don't always think of them that way, but I always say, if you're a single owner and you have a business and but that's the primary way that your family makes money, you have a family business, whether anybody else works for you or not, because that's, you know, you're naturally going to take that business home with you. Sure. I, I've seen family businesses of all kinds, very large, enormous construction firms, as you mentioned, some with outside boards that have been going on for generations. It's very difficult to get to those multiple generations. You've got to have a mm -hmm. lot of ability to communicate, as I've talked about before, communicate openly about the finances and have all that open and so people can see what's going on. Also be able to separate this idea of what, how, what it's like to work for the business and to own the business and what my authority is as an owner, then you can probably begin to do that. But then you're getting into third and fourth and fifth generation. That can be, uh, there are some very big companies. So what are some characteristics of family dynamics? of a successful transition. And I, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, at some point there has to be a handoff and a gradual letting go of the business and the input. And it's not like the new owners don't want mom and dad's input, but at some point that's not going to be useful. 
And so that gets into family dynamics. Mm -hmm. well, I think that definitely. And, you know, I think that to step back from that in this environment, there are, there's a lot of money chasing businesses. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes there's an outside buyer that will pay a multiple that an that inside buyer cannot pay. So the first step I like to do is to take, to do a, a financial plan for the first, for the owner, for the current owner or owners and say, what do we need to continue our lifestyle? Is the business, is the business worth what that, you know, that number in other words, if we need $5 million, is the business worth five plus tax? To, and, and so I can sell it and, and retire for the rest of my life? Or is the business not there yet? And if it, or maybe I can, I need to get at least 5 million for myself. I could get 10 million somewhere else if I sold it outside to some family members. But if I sell it to my family, I can only, I can manage, if I can say to them, I'll give you this bargain at five. You may or may not want to do that. But knowing what that number is for you, I think is a very important first step. And then the second step is having, not, you don't need to have a full valuation, but having some sort of market analysis to say, who are the buyers that would buy this company? Usually there's a multiple of, you know, family member buyers, other small business buyers, upstream buyers, um, that sort of thing. Have someone lay all that out for you and say, these are the kinds of multiples we'll see in the marketplace for these kinds of buyers for your business. And then to basically, you've got a little puzzle, right? Here's what my business is probably worth to these different buyers. Here's what I need. How much of this is, how important is it for me to transfer this to the next generation if they can't afford to pay me what I can get elsewhere? Am I willing to take that discount or not? So that's to me the first two steps in any significant transition. Do you think that owners tend to overvalue their business before they get into that process? Well, I've, I, I think I've, I've seen them do both, but I would say that have to have a very unrealistic uh, expectation for what the business is worth, either on the upside or the downside. Um, usually it's all, though, as you said, it's on the upside. Well, but again, this particular, I would say, environment, when I say the next, the last five years, and what I perceive to be the next several, the amount of money chasing deals is driving the valuation for small businesses up if you're looking upstream. So there are a lot of people out there consolidating businesses and they're mm -hmm. together and they're using venture money or you know a SPAC or whatever they're, however they're financing it because there's so much concentration of wealth. People are banding together and buying large, trying to accommodate yep. large sections of a marketplace. Yep. So it's a very different environment than it was just five years ago. You see you know, a $2 million business maybe in venture capital would never be considered or concerned about it, they might mm -hmm. be willing to today. Yeah, we're seeing that actually in the photo industry. We're having private equity companies and some venture capital coming in and, and, and buying and trying to consolidate some businesses. So that's definitely a trend that I can concur is happening even within our industry. Right, right. And those change, that changes the dynamics um, because those people have access to generally pretty cheap money. Mm -hmm. uh, that a family may not have access to. And they have a big, they already have their big vision, right? They already have for how they're going to leverage the business to make it more profitable in the future. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the success ratio of a family business succession within the family? Oh, you know what? I have those numbers, but I, I didn't look at it right before this podcast. I apologize. It's low. Um, I think only about 
um, five percent of business get to third generation. It's it's a very low number that get to that third generation, and um, not that many. Get, I think about a third get to the second generation. So, yeah. you know, and first of all, you think about it, like you have to succeed, and those numbers aren't very promising. Right, exactly. A lot, people, a lot of people fail in business, but then if you've succeeded transferring to the next generation can be and I think often when I see why does it fail it fails because one we haven't really looked at what are the qualities of the leader that we need to have and we've maybe chosen a little too much on our heartstrings um, and also we've just not really not been clear about the, the economics of this transaction and does it make any sense and can this business take on this load mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit about your book the prosperity playbook planning for a successful family business succession yeah, thanks for asking. Here it is. <laughs> the, um, and it uh, is available on Amazon. And it and then in the book, there's a, there's a good bit about transition, but it's also a lot about just how to make your business more valuable, how to grow your business to make it more valuable, how to begin to, you know, marry the challenges between family members and how to uh, understand what each generation needs so that you can pull all that together and how to really assess where you are. So there, it's um, a lot of financial tools and a lot of just basic tools that I've put together. I've worked with uh, in this environment for almost 40 years um, in my own business. So, <laughs> uh, so I've met thousands of business owners. And so I would say that for like 20 bucks, you can buy my 40 years of wisdom. <laughs> if you get one good idea, it would be worth it. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. Where can people go to get more information uh, about Mackie and your company? Well, uh, to our company website is MackieAdvisors.com. And I would encourage you to check out the event page for sure. We, we do offer free uh, workshops with using a variety of the tools that are in the playbook. But it's nice to have someone facilitate those uh, for you. And we do that for free. Um, just to build a small business community. And then in addition, the prosperityplaybook.com has its own website. Um, oh, okay. Tell you more about the book and my bio. And, and if I also do some professional speaking. I'd love to do that as well. So if you have a group that would like to hear more on this topic. Great. Well, thank you very much for your time and look forward to catching up with you in the future. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Dead Pixel Society podcast. Read more great stories and sign up for the newsletter at www.thedeadpixelssociety.com.